0: Well, hello listeners and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian and you're listening to episode 354 of Sustainable Minimalists, a three-ish times a week show about intentional and eco-minimalist living. I'm willing to bet that most of us listening, if not all of us, let's be real, but most if not all of us have at least once in our lifetime written something lengthy. Maybe it was as simple as a five-paragraph essay in high school, or maybe it was that dissertation in college, or dare I say, maybe it has even been a book. We've all written something, and I'm willing to bet that for most of us, unless you are Ernest Hemingway or Emily Dickinson or somebody really darn great at writing, that first draft was messy. It was sloppy. It might have been incoherent. That's okay. That's part of the writing process is writing a terrible first draft. We're not talking about the writing process today necessarily. We're talking about the living process. And that's because there's a lot of similarities between writing and living. We are the authors of our own respective stories. We are in charge and we each have a red pen in our hot little hand and we can edit our lives as ruthlessly as necessary. But in order to edit, we first have to face that sloppy first draft. We have to examine it with a critical eye, without judgment, before we can ever attempt to create that masterpiece, that beautiful life story. My guest today is Elizabeth Makeda. She argues that instead of passively letting life happen to us, we each have the power to create the life we want to live. She has written a brand new book, which is out now. It's titled Edit Your Life, a handbook for living with intention in a messy world. And oh my goodness, is this world messy or what? Elizabeth, I'm so thrilled to have you on the show. How are you?
1: I'm great. I'm really thrilled to talk to you. And I've enjoyed so much listening to your podcast, even in the car with my kids who will stop what they're doing to listen. I've just, I've so much enjoyed seeing what you're putting into the world.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Well, we're going to talk about what you've recently put into the world, which is your new book. Before we talk about editing our life, before we get to that gigantic topic, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you write about, all the good stuff?
1: Yes, all the good stuff. I teach writing for the writing programs at Harvard's Extension School and Oxford's Continuing Education Program. Edit Your Life is my. 12th book which is nuts and my first in this genre of personal growth which is the genre I love but through this book learned to write in and i've got two children my oldest is 12 and my youngest is almost 9 and we lived for 3 years in a tiny house after feeling that our life was sort of too big, too much, too complicated. And as a consequence, we were all feeling a little bit too much in scarcity mode. So our way of shifting us all to abundant mode was to make house very small and just what we needed and not a lot of other things to keep track of and have to be responsible for. So that freed us in every possible way and was one of the catalysts for for this book.
0: Well, you're going to have to come on a second time, Elizabeth, so we can talk about all you gained when you decreased the size of your house. That would be a great episode. So we'll talk about that offline. You're here today to give us all the wisdom that's found in your new book, Edit Your Life. And I have to say off the bat, I love the running metaphor throughout the book, which is essentially, you know, you're the author, you're the boss of your own life, and that means you get to determine the outcome of your story. In what other ways is editing our lives similar to editing a piece of writing, a paper, a book, an email?
1: I love this question. I think it's similar in so many ways. And in either one, there's some lovely creative work, whether it's a book, whether it's a poem, whether it's a research paper, whether it's a dinner party, whether it's a philosophy on parenting, whether it's a whole life, there's some lovely creative work that could take shape in so many different ways. And what I love about editing is that it really comes down to looking closely and trying to ask with love and respect and without judgment, but with curiosity and discernment, what is this thing in its ideal version trying to be? Even clumsily, even imperfectly, what is it trying to be? What is its ideal version and that includes figuring out what is its version right now what does it look like what does it feel like what what is this thing and in writing that's you know the the draft of something might be way overwritten or only the bones or any number of things that are incomplete but but you can tell in it what is alive and what it's trying to be it's trying to be a tribute to this person it's trying to be A story that leaves its readers with an emotional souvenir about how important something is, and if we can just scrape away and figure out here's what is alive, then we can give the writer the ability to shape everything else around that. And same same with life that if we can figure out what is this essentially trying to be, what what is at the heart of this life, what do we care about, what what gives us energy? That's the way that I often think of it: is what gives us energy. What do we innately feel excited about and feel like it works, like it matters. And then looking at all the other things that get in the way of that and trying to figure out how they can be minimized.
0: Yeah. Editing your life is just a different way, in my opinion, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's just a different way of saying living with intentionality, like paying attention to the life that you're creating and curating that life so that you live your best life. You write your best story. And so, you know, you separate your book into three parts, like three action steps. The first is examine, the second is edit, and then the third is enjoy. So examine your life, edit your life, and then enjoy your life. So let's start with examining your life. What questions should we be asking ourselves? What should we be looking for when we seek to just step back and look at the life we're creating with a critical eye? what should we be paying attention to?
1: Yes, this is the, the first step. And the questions are in order. What is this? what What is this life that we're living? Does it? How, what does it involve? That could be questions like, how much time are we at home? How much time are we in the car? How much time are we making art if art is important to us? How much time are we reading to our children if that is important to us? And to look at it, with an eye for what I think of as pure neutral facts, because part of what will come up won't be the ideal versions of things, but will just be pure neutral facts of what our life is. And then once we've established those and been able to look at those, we would move on to the second question, which is what works? What in this feels like the right direction? What of this are you, are you happy with? And do you not wish to change? And there will be will and should be you know some things in there that there are always a few things that are that are beautiful and alive and working however small and then the next question and examine your life is what doesn't work depending on the era there may be a lot of things that are not working that just feel like they're a disconnect between what you would like for it to be and what it actually is and so if we can look at those three in a way that is pretty pretty clear-eyed and and pretty neutral and just say here's here's what it is here's what works here's what doesn't work great, this is good information. And then from there, we can start making changes once we've just understood what we're working with.
0: Yeah, and and examine your life without judgment. Just take on an inquisitive eye and don't attach feelings or emotions or guilt or resentment or anything to what you find out through the process of examining, I think is also really important. You suggest in your book, to ask yourself a very simple question, a simple but profound question. And after reading your book, Elizabeth, I must say, I've asked, I've started just asking myself this question here or there throughout my day for little things, for big things, and everything in between. The question is, what is my first choice? Simple but profound. What is my first choice? Talk to me about the paradox of choice. First of all, what is the paradox of choice, and how does this question play into that? I'm thinking about myself personally. I always have a first choice, but I almost never go for the first choice. I never try for it. I never um, reward myself with my first choice. My go-to is always to like convince myself that, no, I don't need the first choice for whatever it is, for what I want for dinner, for... Um, anything for what I want to do go on vacation next year, like whatever it is, my first choice, I always like temper that. so talk to me about the paradox of choice and why we should all be asking ourselves, what is my first choice?
1: Yes, I love this question and i and I am excited to answer this question, but first, I would love to fling a question back at you because I think that is such a common feeling, one that I've certainly felt before too. Why do you think it is that that you and I and so many people? Are tempted to temper our first choice. What do you think is the psychology there that makes a first choice feel so somehow scary?
0: So I've been asking myself this question as well, Elizabeth. And I think a big part of it is sociological. Like a woman is supposed to be selfless and put everybody else's first choices before her own. I think that comes into play a lot in my life and in my house. And so my quote-unquote purpose, and I don't believe this, but I act this way, actually, I really do, is to facilitate everybody else's first choice. And my wants then often get pushed down.
1: Yes, I think that makes a lot of sense and feels very familiar. It makes me think about a eureka I had when I read this incredible book called The Mother-Daughter Puzzle. She uses this phrase that just gave me the chills, which is a form of inherited sexism that inadvertently mothers pass on to daughters, to daughters, to daughters, by this very idea of, she gives the example of if you're in a comfortable seating place, often the women will sit in the least comfortable chairs to leave the most comfortable chairs, presumably for somebody who's more worthy of them. And so one of the things she suggested is that we never scold our daughter for taking the, the best chair or getting the best seat on the boat or taking the biggest piece of cake. I don't know. But it really woke me up to thinking about how much that is an inherited. I mean, I certainly have felt that that's what a good mother should do. And I've certainly felt that that's something that is pretty pervasive among women. So I think that's so interesting. And that makes a lot of sense. And also, I wonder if part of it is that it's scary to want a first choice, because if we don't get it, we're going to be really bummed. So it's easier to, I guess, I don't know, maybe it feels like practicing non-attachment to to, to not want them. So to your, to your question, the paradox of choice is the idea that the more choices we have, at first, we might think that sounds great. But when it actually comes down to the practicalities of choosing tends to be very overwhelming. I think of the difference maybe between grocery shopping somewhere like Trader Joe's, where they have three kinds of olives, and they're all probably going to be pretty good, versus somewhere that has you know a whole aisle of olives, and you don't which all of us to get, tiny things like that that just feel like you could make the wrong choice. When we think of paradox of choice, we can't commit to one easily because we're afraid of missing out. It's sort of a built-in FOMO that we can't enjoy it fully because what if it's the wrong choice?
0: Right. Like we think we want a ton of choices. We think we want to have 20 shirts options, 20 shirt options to wear. But when we have 20 shirt options, it makes it harder to Pick the choice that's best for us, I think that's what you're saying
1: yes, exactly that that having a few of something that that works is often easier so yeah so so the paradox of choice in terms of the first choices, I think can be really can be a, a total paradigm shift, whether it's with books or clothes or activities or or foods, but to just look at the sort of wide spectrum of all the possibilities and identify this very, very small amount that is relevant to us if we're choosing honestly and with an eye for what we actually want, it really liberates us from a whole lot of of, of time and energy entertaining things that we don't actually want.
0: What I hear you saying there, Elizabeth, is ask yourself, what is my first choice? And then if the chatter comes up, telling you all the reasons why you shouldn't go for the first choice, you shouldn't try to accomplish that goal, you shouldn't have that for dinner, you shouldn't this, you shouldn't that, shut the chatter down and go with the first choice as best you can. Is that correct?
1: I would say that if the first choice doesn't cause trouble for anyone in the universe in any major way, that why wouldn't you go for the first choice? I have, when I think about this, a story comes to mind about my wonderful mother who We always grew up hearing her talking about her guardian parking angel, and it was um, this sort of wonderful form of mother magic and mother nonsense that um, we all sort of marvelled at. That she would always say whenever she was going to, you know, park at school or park at a concert, she would always get close to it and say, "Okay, Gloria, find me a good parking place right in front." And she would drive to the front, and there would always be somebody pulling out, always. And on one end, it's you know lovely mother magic nonsense, but on another end, if you go looking for the four leaf clover closely for a while you'll probably find one you know if you go to the front of the parking place there's just a good chance i think that when we don't put first choices into the realm of possible they're not able to happen but but again i think that the sort of footnote is does it cause trouble for people in the universe and i think if it's something small like dinner or like finding a way to spend more time doing the thing you love be it podcasting or writing or making art that doesn't hurt anybody that gives energy to the person doing it, but it doesn't cause any mischief. And it seems just like a principle that, it, that if applied with some common sense could probably benefit most of our days in small and big ways.
0: Hmm. So we are examining our lives. We are examining them with an impartial eye. We are impartial observers. What do you say, though, to listeners who are impartially examining their life and they don't like what they see?
1: I think that that is really good information. That is really good information. And that is really, really hard when that happens. And I'll share two moments when I felt that way and was really kind of mortified at what I saw. Um, The first was when I had a Brad, you know, you've talked in your podcast about just the difficulties of being a new mother. And um, and I really appreciated what you said about it, of just sort of looking around and feeling like this seems to be easier for everyone else than me. And I think that's probably what all new mothers feel, but I certainly felt that. And one of the things that I assumed I would feel is that I wanted to be home with her all day long, because that was what the women I admired and loved had said was the most fun. And what I found is that obviously I loved her and I loved being with her. And I also was hungry to work and I was hungry to write and I was hungry to have a little bit of time carved out to, to create my, my, my books and my work. And these, and for me, motherhood and and writerhood came the same, the beginning of the same decade when I was 30. So I found that I was actually a happier mother when she was at school for four hours a day. And that was something that again, was so small. But it was something that really was not the paradigm of parenting that I went in expecting. I expected to want to be home all the time and be doing fun games and be doing all sorts of things. But um, I was sort of better at it when I had met my own first choice need of writing and then could go into the day and go to the park, play on the floor. I just had more patience. But I didn't think that that reflected very well on me in terms of my mothering paradigm. Another time when I looked at my life and found that I didn't really like what I saw was when I observed that I was not very good at focusing on people when I was at home. And, you know, Idaho is a wintry landlocked place. Like you're not outside all winter. Like you're inside. Things take place, you know, like Boston, things take place in the home. And yet at home, I was always doing dishes, wiping counters, picking up toys, seeing what the dog had eaten. I just couldn't focus on a person in the way that I felt people deserved focus when I was at home. And I found that I was a more engaged friend, parent, spouse out of the house. If I wanted to get into a you know good streak with spending time with my kids after school, best to go to the Discovery Center or the park or the zoo or the cafe, just because I knew I they would get a better version of me. And I think that when we examine and find things that we're uncomfortable with, I think our first feeling is sort of horror at having let that become us. And then I think the second step is to think, well, okay, if this is what it is, what do we do about this?
0: Well, you bring us perfectly to step two, which is the editing portion, the actively editing portion of intentional living. And I'm going to ask you all about that because that's where things get really hard, I would say. So we're going to talk about editing after a quick word from our sponsors. Coast of Maine believes in nurturing relationships with local retailers, so next time you're at your local retailer, look for Coast of Maine products. Get growing. Visit coastofmaine.com to find a local retailer near you, coastofmaine.com. And we're back. Today, I'm speaking with Elizabeth Makeda. She is the author of many books, but specifically, we're talking about her new book, Titled Edit Your Life, a handbook for living with intention in a messy world. Before the break, we discussed the examination portion of intentional living, right? Like, so we have this life and we're looking at it. We're seeing what works, what doesn't, what flows, what doesn't flow, what's clear, what's murky. And now we're on to the editing part, the real action oriented part of living. You suggest in your book that we edit for clarity, for growth, and for generosity. Where on earth do we start and how do we do it? Let's
1: start in order and let's start with clarity. And one of the things that you have said in your podcast that I love so much and that really hit home in in thinking about clarity and editing is you have used the term umbrella to talk about minimalism. And I think that that's a wonderful way to think about any sort of intentional direction that we're living in, whether our organizing principle is minimalism or portability or frugality or whatever it happens to be freedom, um, that if we can sort of think this feels good, this is going to be the, thing, the lens through which we make most decisions. All the tiny questions just become easier to answer if we know with some clarity, this is the goal. This is what is important to us. This is what we're going to be willing to sacrifice for in terms of putting it before other things.
0: Yeah. I just want to jump in there and say, when you read a book, one book, one single book cannot be about everything, right? And one single life cannot do absolutely everything well. I feel like in my twenties, I wanted to be this and that and do this. And like, I've flitted around, right? Right. But now I'm in my late 30s, almost 40s, and I'm realizing that my life, my book, would be most impactful, would leave the best, the biggest legacy if I honed in on like what is my goal, what is my purpose, and make that be what my book's about. So instead of being about all the things, let's really get intentional about what I am best suited to do on this planet. Does that speak to you at all?
1: Yes, I'm cheering for you from my seat. This is exactly what speaks to me. And Laura Vanderkam, who is an author I love, has described uh, humans as needing to have a few core competencies. Um, and I think this is wrapped up in, that, in this discussion as well, this idea that we're not going to do everything well, but there are a few things that only we can do. I've come to think of what are the things I would like to leave, what would I like written on my tombstone, what would I like to be remembered for? I have come to think of it as this sort of little, I don't know, geometrical shape, maybe a triangle, maybe a square, but of of the of a few different areas. And for me it's it's work, love, and play. Like those seem like the ones that are big enough that they encapsulate all that I need to fit in them, but they take require different energy. And and answering those for myself, I've, I've come to think that in work, I want to write big stories that only I can write. And in love, I want to nurture creative communities. And in play, um, I teach and I think of that as the absolute most fun thing. And I think that links my, my love of people to my love of writing. And I want to nurture people who are going to create big, brilliant books. And that's really, those three are really it. And then I need to obviously, you know, eat well and move sometimes. But aside from that, everything is negotiable and everything can can be off my list in some form or at least can fall after that it's you know obviously i need to sometimes clean the shower but what if i'm doing those things every day if i'm nurturing my work my, and and if i'm nurturing my my students and if i'm nurturing my family like that's all right that's a good day that's a good day even if a whole lot of things fall through the cracks and even if i do a little bit in each of those areas and they're sort of only lit up a little bit, that's still something. But I think having a few things like that really does take a lot off the plate and helps me certainly with what you were saying um, in one of your earlier podcasts about about abundance and scarcity, that I find that when I don't identify just a few things that are really where I need to be putting my energy, I feel that energy is very scarce and and just very scattered. And so thinking through that, that, that question really helps put the energy where it can make the most difference.
0: And being okay with letting go of the aspects of yourself or the things you want to do that actually don't fit as you grow and mature. There was a time in my life I was sure, you know, I wanted to be a skydiving instructor (laughs) and like, I was really gung ho about that and it just doesn't fit these days with the person that I have become and continue to go down that path of this is who Stephanie is and this is what Stephanie's book, her legacy is going to be or what I want it to be, right? Skydiving is like out in left field. It doesn't fit. And it's about I think in the editing portion saying goodbye to the skydiving instructor Stephanie and being okay with it and being and knowing that like that could be an interest but it's not a core part of my story. I think that's what you're saying there. But where does the generosity piece come into play? How do we edit for generosity?
1: Well, I think of editing for generosity is exactly what you're talking about, that thinking of the, the great work that is our life, who will it benefit outside of us? And I think That's the question that if we ask that question, which of course you ask through your work, through your parenting, through your podcast, through your book, um, that I try to ask through the things that I do, that it's just a single one step beyond this, that feels like we're the the phrase that I use in the book is adding to the green, just adding to the world that will outlast us in some small positive way.
0: Yeah. So I don't, I must say like pat myself on the back, I suppose, but like, I don't, have those concerns personally. I feel like this podcast is my way of hopefully leaving a little bit of a better mark on the world after I'm gone. But there are plenty of people in my life who say to me often, you know, I don't feel like I'm making a difference or, you know, my nine to five is just office drudgery or, you know, I'm not living beyond myself. Do you have any words for those people?
1: I love that phrasing, the living beyond ourselves. And I think that would be the first question that I would ask, that I would urge someone who's in that situation or in that feeling to ask, is if you're going in the direction of your of your energy and of what feels good to you, what would be a direction that you would like to live beyond yourself? What is some something that you do feel you would like to give, even, even if right now you don't have the bandwidth for it? And for some people, the answer will be, um, political will be, I would love to run for city council. I would love to just canvas for my friend. I would love to donate for this to, to this nonprofit. I would love to make calls with this cause. I would love to do something like that. For others, it will be, I would love to just make music or I would love to spend more time with my nieces and nephews. You know, there's always something that just feels like that unfinished thing. It's one thing that just feels like if I had more blank time, energy, money, bandwidth, that would be great. What you called last in one of your podcasts, if only. Um, And I think that that's a great place to look. And when we're doing the exercise of looking at the page of our life as neutrally as we can, I think that the if onlys are a really good place to look because that is where we wish we could go beyond ourselves a little bit more. And there will always be areas where we won't. There will be plenty of areas where we feel like enough is enough and I don't need, I don't have any aspirations in that area. But those places where we feel, if only I would do that, that's where we should look first. So my advice to someone who feels that they would like to go a little bit beyond themselves would be to ask in which direction that beyond might be. And then to just make a short list of what that could look like. Maybe go a little further to ask what would be the minimum amount of time that could feel like I was making a difference in that direction? Is it an hour on the weekend to make music? Or is it two hours once a week to volunteer? Or is it coffee with my nieces and nephews? What's the minimum thing that could feel like it goes a little bit beyond and just opens that door beyond just meeting the bare necessities?
0: Yeah. And for anybody who's listening, who is saying to yourself, well, Back up, Elizabeth and Stephanie. I don't even know what my story is about, (laughs) let alone editing for generosity. If you don't even know what your story is about, which is how I felt about six years ago, I had no idea what my story was about. I suggest you just try some new things and see what sticks. Throw them against the wall and see what sticks. That's exactly what this podcast was. I examined my life and I didn't like it at all. I was irritable and angry and sad. And I didn't feel as though I was um, contributing to anything or anyone outside of my home. And so I I literally, within an hour, I didn't think much about it. I started a podcast and here we are. So try some new things. Some will fit and some will not, but that's the beauty of living, right? This is your story. It's your chance to just try new stuff and self-actualize into the person you are meant to be the best version of you.
1: This is exactly what I'm saying. And I love that example and the throwing things against the wall. That feels exactly right. And in writing, one of the exercises that I'll always ask my my students and my writers to do is to just create what we call compost, just to free write for five minutes or eight minutes on anything. Here's a prompt, something I inherited that I won't pass on, what I did last summer, just eight minutes on that. Or if you don't wanna write on that, write on anything. And through that, you build so much compost. And they're all just ideas. None of them have any obligation to last or to stick, but they're all yours and you created them all. And then from there, you can sift through it and decide which of these could become something else. And I think that's the same with life that we throw spaghetti against the wall and the podcast stuck. Um, but probably there are other things that didn't stick. And in my own experience, same thing, when I was trying to figure out how to do more of the things that I loved, how to do more writing, how to do more teaching. There were so many things that I tried that lasted a week, a year, and the ones that that I loved and that I was good at and that there was a need for have stuck, but the rest didn't. And I can't even remember all of them, but that feels like a really wonderful way to just try the things without overthinking them, without over worrying our lives.
0: Yes. Podcasting stuck, but skydiving did not stick and that's okay. (laughs) That's okay. So we need to move on to step three. We've examined we've edited, and now we need to enjoy our lives. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, we're all united in that we just want to be able to enjoy our lives. Yet, 2023 living is so darn frenetic, and that's to say nothing about the gigantic issues that we face environmentally, politically, ethically. Like, I could go on and on. And when I'll be honest, when I start to think about all the problems, (laughs) I can really start to feel pretty darn depressed, and that's the opposite of enjoying my life. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on enjoying our lives in 2023 when there's so much stacked against enjoyment. (laughs) Yes, I
1: agree with everything you say, and I agree that it is stacked is a good word, that I think often when we think about just standing on the ground in our world today, it feels like... There are so many things in any given direction that we could worry about and that I do worry about and that I think probably all of us are worrying about because they're real and because they're not going away in the way that we would like them to. Um, I think that we aren't being fully honest if we ignore the things that feel like they're stacked against us in that way. And so when I think of enjoying, I think of doing the best we can with these principles that we've built, figuring out what our life is about, what we enjoy, what changes we need to make, big or small, and which ways we can edit for those organizing principles, for those umbrellas that feel most meaningful for us. And in doing that, letting go of the things that aren't serving the book of our life, this great work. And that doesn't mean we'll never think about them or we'll never worry about them, but that we'll create some guardrails so that we keep our attention focused on the things that we do want to double down on and that we do feel we can make a difference with. And that people who we do who who do need our love in an active way and and need us in a way that's not you know not our frazzled Pulled apart selves, but when we're present, and when we're there, and I think that the best the best advice I would say for for enjoying is really to double down on that one thing or those those few things and try to touch those energy sources every day or as often as we can, and I think that's often the best that we can do for an ordinary day. And for exceptional days, I think that we all we can really do then is hold on to this sort of, I think of the the edited life as this little seed. Like, here are the things, here's the essential Stephanie, here's the essential Elizabeth, here are the things that we have decided really do make up the core of this work of art that is our life. And to try to keep like a pilot light, to keep that alive, to keep some attention on that in in whatever small way we can while we're getting thrashed around or while the day tips us this way and that. And then try to get our foot again again on the other side. But I think it all comes down to, to identifying what matters and what is ultimately the souvenir really that we wish for our life to leave beyond beyond us.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I'm Going back and thinking about your triangle that you mentioned earlier, it sounds to me like the recipe for enjoyment or contentment perhaps would be for you to hit those three corners of the triangle most, if not every day. I'm thinking about like my core, my core life story. What is my story about? My story is about this podcast. It's about my family, my, my core four, I call them, my family. And then I'm a big runner. That's a huge part of my identity. So if I can hit those three corners of my triangle every single day, despite what's going on that's out of my control and despite the freneticness of living, I feel like that's my personal recipe for enjoyment. Personally. I love that. <laughs>
1: I love that, Stephanie. And I think that's exactly right, that that's your work, that's your love, that's your play. And I could probably make an argument that minimalism feeds into all three, because that does seem like your core word, or maybe sustainability fits into all three, you know, through running, you're sustaining your body. So it just seems like knowing what these things are and maybe even what connects them. Yeah. and, And touching them each day. I think that's really it. I think that is really, really it. What are the three things, work, love and play, that will make this a good day, whatever else happens?
0: What a conversation, Elizabeth. This is such a good way to start my day. Listeners, we're recording bright and early, and I'm just so excited to go about my day with this conversation under my belt. Tell us, Elizabeth, your book is out now. Where can we find it? And what are you most excited about for listeners to learn that we didn't get to cover today? Thank
1: you. I'm so excited about this book. It can be found at any bookstore. Your local bookstore is a great place to start. And what I'm most excited about is part of the launch and to, to celebrate the book and to bring my um, my excitement about these principles out into the world. I've designed a free eight-week course on life editing, which is a companion to the book. So people who order the book by the end of the first week that it's in the world um, can join that course and life edit in real time with a community and try these out on their, own life, on their own lives. So that's what I'm most excited about, of just seeing in real time how these principles um, work with real people and what kind of conversations stem from sharing them with each other.
0: Well, before we say goodbye, Elizabeth, I just want to read a quick quote from your book that I wrote down and pasted on my wall, if that's okay. <laughs> you said, When we clutter our lives by collecting backup plans and objects, courting the opinions of people who don't matter to us, it exhausts us. And when exhausted, we miss what matters. So doesn't that just bring together what this show stands for and our conversation today? I love it. Thank you so much for coming on, Elizabeth. I wish you so much success.
1: Thank you so much, Stephanie. I've loved meeting you and talking with you and listening to your podcast. Thank you for having me today.
0: Listeners, that's a wrap. My friends, show notes are at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 354. We have a quick eco tip today and it comes from listener Jessica. Jessica wrote to me and said that she no longer buys chapstick in those plastic tubes. Instead, she uses pure coconut oil. She creates her own on-the-go chapstick, if you will, by putting it in smaller baby food containers, and it makes it so much easier for her to travel with. I love it, Jessica. Goodbye, plastic tubes. The ocean doesn't need any more of those. Thank you so much. Listeners, I'll see you on Thursday. We're talking goodie bags. My daughter's birthday... uh, Party is coming up this weekend. And yet again, it's an annual thing. I am facing the goodie bag conundrum. I also had a listener reach out and say, What is the deal? (laughs) Why are all these people buying into cheap plastic junk culture? We're talking about this very pervasive problem yet again on the show. I'm also offering some solutions I've never offered before. I'm telling you what I'm going to be doing at this birthday party. That's plastic free, goodie bag free. So I'll see you on Thursday and I'll see you again on Friday for headlines. Reach out if you need me and take care.